Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Impact Cyber Church. You know something? Today, we're going to continue on this journey. Uh, we started last week. We've actually been talking about being the wisdom of God for, for weeks now. And you know, this is just one of those things you could go on and on and on and on. But last week, we started looking at Moses as a man of faith. As a matter of fact, today I'm calling, I'm calling this message uh, Moses, Faith, and Wisdom because in reality... When we begin to define faith more how the Bible actually uses the concept and uses the word, we move past this idea uh, of just trying to get faith enough to get something from God. Now stop and, stop and think about that. If you had a need in your life, let's say you had a financial need in your life, and there was a guy that lived a few blocks down the road from you, and you, you knew that he had money, and, and you're thinking, I'm going to go and see if he's going to help me. Then this burden is on you because you really don't know the guy. You don't know if he's generous. You don't know if he, if he, if he likes helping people. You don't know anything about him. And so you're going to go and you're going to try to convince this person that they need to help you. I want to tell you something. When we don't know the ways of God, when we don't know the character of God, which, you know, when, when the, we talked about this last week and the week before, Moses knew the ways of God, but when you know someone's ways, this starts getting into their character, what motivates their behavior, what motivates their deeds. Uh, if you know their deeds, but you don't know really their ways, then you're still kind of lost. So you go to that person that lives down the block and you feel like you've got to talk them into, you've got to find some way to persuade them to help you out. I'm, I'm sorry. That's how most people view operating faith with God. I'm going to somebody that I really don't know that well, trying to get them to help me out. Now, I know they can. I know they got the resources. I know they got strength. Just don't know for sure if they will. I want to tell you something. That is not faith as the Bible presents it. Because faith as the Bible presents it starts with knowing God, understanding what motivates God, understanding what moves God. Now, I, under, I realize there's things about God we'll never probably fully understand. But as far as God's interaction with man, we should never be in the dark. All you got to do to know what God will do in any given situation, as I say week after week, is look at the life, the teaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the inheritance that he got. And, and when you know the inheritance that Jesus got, when you look at his life, his teaching, how he treated people, and you realize that when you get born again, you partake of everything that he received from God. There is no longer any question about what God wants to do, what God is trying to do. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, there were, there were places Jesus couldn't work miracles. Was it because he didn't have the anointing? No, he had the anointing. Was it because God was running low on power that day? No, God always had the power to do it. See, God's always ready to do every promise that he, that he has ever given. The question is, 
are we actually ready to receive it? Do we really know God well enough that we trust that that promise is ours with no hidden agendas, with no, you know, no secret plans, no hoops to jump through, uh, no religious sacrifices to make. So Moses is one of those people that we can look at and discover a lot about faith if we'll let the Bible speak to us instead of trying to make it, uh, make it uh, what we want to say. Now remember, Moses is facing incredible obstacles. You know, he left, he left Egypt because he had killed an Egyptian guard for which he would have received the death penalty. And so just going back to Egypt would put him in a position to very possibly lose his life. He was being sent back to Egypt by uh, Jehovah, by the Creator God, that really to the children of Israel had almost become a myth because they had so little interaction with him. And, and he's going back, and this God is telling him, you're going to go back and you're going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, this means that he's going to be standing in opposition and in defiance of the most powerful man in the world in that particular day. Uh, a man who just by the nod of his head could have had Moses executed at any moment. Plus, he's got these thousands of people that he's got to move toward trusting God in order to make to get first get delivered from Egypt and then in order to make such an incredible journey. And, and the list just goes on and on. He's got to, he's got to take, he's, he's actually got to take tens of thousands of people. It's debatable. I mean, the numbers of people that, that went out with Moses range from, from in the hundreds of thousands to some people say in the millions. I don't know. But but he's got tens of thousands of people. He's going to lead across a desert. They, they're not an army. They've never been trained in warfare, and they're going to be meeting head-on enemies that want to kill them. They're going to be crossing a wilderness with the need to be able to, to get enough food every day to feed all of these people. They're going to have to find water every day in order to provide for all these people. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And listen, this took faith on Moses' part. I mean, it is incredible to me that Moses ever agreed to do this. He's, a, he's more of a man of faith than I, than I would have been, I'll tell you this. So last week we talked about Moses knowing the ways of God and how the Israelites only knew God's deeds or his actions. Now, now stop and think about that. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, people knew that God was the Almighty. But what they didn't know, because they didn't trust his names, or maybe they hadn't learned his names, they, also, they didn't know that he was a loving God. They didn't know that he related to us as a father tenderly relates to his child. So if you encounter someone, you know, if you're, if you're walking down a street one night, and it's kind of starting to get dark, and man, you see a big muscular guy coming down the street, and, and, and you see people are just kind of, uh, avoiding him, going around him, and you're thinking, this guy is, would be able to destroy me with one hit in my head. The problem is, you don't know if he's going to be there to protect you and help you, or if he's going to be there to hurt you. So knowing that God 
was the Almighty God, which the children of Israel, they saw that. They saw him work these miraculous deeds to deliver them uh, from Egypt. But the question is, they didn't know, or was he going to be using that power against us or that power for us? So they were unsure of what he would do. But when you look at Moses, you find something I think is so incredible from the very beginning. Remember, Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh. So he was acquainted with all of the gods of the Egyptians. But his mother, if you'll remember, she, uh, uh, you know, she, she saved his life. And ultimately, he was nursed by his mother and, and was protected by his, I think, by his sister, if I remember correctly. I could be remembering that wrong. And so he was taught in the ways of the Israelites. He was taught about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they might not have known a lot about him. So when Moses encounters the burning bush, you know, he, he leaves Egypt. He spends 40 years as a shepherd, and he encounters the burning bush. Well, Moses, the first thing he wanted to know is, who are you? Now, in those days, you understood a lot about a deity by his name. And so uh, uh, if, if a God was a God of wrath, he, he, would have been, he would have gone by some name that indicated that he was a God of wrath. And so all the pagan gods, they were deities who had been given names that expressed their characteristics, that expressed their traits. Now, all Moses really knew about God probably was that he was the creator and he probably had heard stories about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, about their interactions with God. And so, again, they were probably more like nursery rhymes or myths possibly by the time, by the time he heard them. And so when he asked God who he is, God says, I am. You know, that, that's kind of incredible because the I am indicates the eternal nature of God in that he hasn't changed from the God who created an earth that can perfectly and completely support life and support man. He hasn't changed from being the God uh, that, that Abraham trusted and that delivered Abraham from the hands of his enemies. He hasn't changed since he was the God of Jacob that made this promise uh, that, that a nation would come forth. He hasn't changed from being the God who promised Joseph that even though, even though they were going to go into Egypt and become captives, that they would be delivered and they would be taken into the promised land. He had never changed it. So he says, I am. You know, I am who I was. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I never change. I am that God that I have always been. You know, if we could just get that through our heads, it's crazy. You know, some, man, I could go off the hinges on this. It's crazy how some people read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, and they think God must have repented, you know, uh, b between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. Uh, because they look at Jesus and he seems nice and sweet and kind and he's healing everybody. And you look back at God and he's killing everybody. Well, you know something? Um, that is a twisted paradigm. And if we believe that God had never changed, and if we believed in the names of God, we could really understand more about what was actually happening in the Old Testament. But since Jesus was the perfect representation of God, which I tell you that all the time, then we have to understand God has always done everything 
exactly as Jesus did it when mankind would let him, when mankind would believe him, when mankind would trust him. In other words, in other words, anything you want to know about the God of the Old Testament, who is still the God of the New Testament, look at the life of Jesus and, and you'll, you'll understand. So <clears throat> you find that Moses had this constant pursuit, this constant hunger to, to know God and to understand who God really was. You know, there's, there's an ancient uh, uh, Hebrew story. You see, we know this for a fact. We know that Abraham's father was a part of, um, uh, of really an occult army, if you will. The Bible tells us that his, his ancestors worshiped other gods, that they, were, that they were pagans over in Ur of the, of the Chaldees. And so, uh, you know, at the Tower of Babel, the Nimrod worship was set up and, and Abraham's father was very probably, as we understand it, a general in the army of, of Nimrod. And is, Israeli uh, or Hebrew history tells us that he was the one that was in charge of killing all the male babies when Nimrod realized that a deliverer was, was being born. And so since uh, Abraham's father and, and his mother had had difficulty having a child. When they finally had Abraham, they weren't going to turn this child over to Nimrod's army to be, to be sacrificed. Instead, they hid him in a cave. But his family, they were all idolaters. And so that means that they worshiped the sun god. As far as we know, they worshiped the sun god. They worshiped the moon god. They worshiped all these gods of nature. Now, we don't know if this next part is true, but another story that's been handed down through Hebrew uh, uh, history and culture and, and oral, you know, oral stories passed on was that, uh, uh, that uh, Abraham's father, he, he built idols to, to all of these different deities. And so uh, one day Abraham takes a, a hammer and shatters one of the idols and, and, and lays the hammer down and his father comes in and says, oh, oh no, what, what have you done? What have you done? He said, Abraham said, I, I didn't do anything. He said, no, you've destroyed one of these idols. You know, he's going to, he, one of these gods is going to retaliate against us. And Abraham said, I didn't do it. One of these other gods did it. And I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing the story. And so basically, eventually Abraham's father said, well, well, they couldn't do it because they're only statues. And it was sort of like, exactly. They can't do anything. And, you know, the story goes that Abraham was hidden from Nimrod in a cave and that he comes out of the cave one night and he looks up and he sees the moon. He says, and he says, there's the moon. That is God. And, and he determined he would worship the moon God because now he had seen uh, the moon. He goes back into his cave and he comes out the next day and the sun's out. And he says, well, the sun has overtaken the moon. So obviously the sun God's greater than the moon God. So I'm going to worship the sun God. And so he goes back into the cave and he comes back out and the moon's back out. And finally he says, he says you know, I, I, I'm not going to worship the sun God or the moon God. I'm going to worship the God that created these things. And so Abraham somehow had a heart to pursue God and to discover who God was. Well, that's kind of how Moses was. Moses was like, I want to know who God really is. Now, when, when God 
uh, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. You know the children of Israel, they're, they're down there worshiping the golden calf and Moses gets mad and throws the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments down and, and, and they're shattered. And so, so he deals with the people and finally God calls him back up on, on, uh, on the mountain and, and, and this time Moses has to carve out the tablets. And, uh, and so while he's there, God wants, or Moses wants to know God. And he asked God, I believe this is Exodus 33, 18. He says, please show me your glory. Now, when you think about the glory of God, and, and, and we're not going to look at the New Testament concept as much as the Old Testament concept, even though they overlap. We know that the glory of God is like the greatness, the splendor, the brightness, the, the majesty, the wonder. And like, like I've said, it, it takes pages to define all that the glory of God actually means. Now, we know that ultimately the glory of God is God's reality. It's His view, His opinion, because His view and His opinion are the reality. But we don't even have to look at that part of it right now. So Moses is like, I want to see, kind of he's asking, I want to see the greatest aspect of who you are. So if I see your glory, I am seeing the most uh, wonderful aspect of who you are. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, uh, this makes me think of the book of James. You know, the book of James, it, it tells you something incredible. It tells you, it tells you that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I, I'm telling you, most people, if they, if they, thought, if they thought, I'm going to see God in His most demonstrative, in His most powerful aspect, His most powerful manifestation, I can tell you this, all the religious people in the world would think that they're going to see God sitting on His judgment seat, and that's going to be the greatest manifestation of power that you could ever imagine. Well, interestingly, in the Holy of Holies, which is a type of what exists in heaven, God does not sit enthroned on the judgment seat. He will visit the judgment seat one day, but he sits enthroned on the mercy seat because his mercy is a greater power than his judgment. Doesn't mean he doesn't have judgment. It just says that mercy overcomes judgment. So Moses is wanting to see the most magnificent aspect of God that, that, that there is. And so he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now, this is amazing. I want to see the greatest aspect of who you are. I want to see what represents more than anything else, your power, your greatness, you know, your strength. You know, I don't, I don't really know what Moses was really expecting, but I don't think this is what he was expecting. Now, remember, he has been on this lifetime quest to know God. I honestly believe, and this man, I don't mean for this to be judgmental. I don't mean for this to be mean-spirited. But I say this out of nearly a half century of ministering to people. And you know, one of the things that has helped me so much is I, no matter how big a crusades I had, no matter how big of a congregation I was preaching to, and you know, I preached to monumental congregations all over the world, I always manage day in, day out to stay connected to the people. In other words, I never got to the place where my only aspect of ministry was me speaking to a group of people. You know, I had a substance abuse clinic, had, had 
teen programs, all of these things where every day I was talking to people, every day I was ministering to people one-on-one, -on -one, counseling with people, helping people work through problems, get them off drugs, and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and what I witnessed in all those years of ministering one-on-one -on -one to people, I didn't find people that really wanted to know God as much as I found people who wanted to know how to work God how to work the formulas, how to get the stuff, how to get the life that they wanted. And, and I don't think people intentionally were meaning to convey or to say, look, I, God, I want your stuff. I want what you can do for me, but really I'm not interested in knowing you. I don't think that's what it was. I think that it's a combination of what religion had taught people and people getting in such dire desperation and difficulties because, because they weren't living a life that was led and empowered and strengthened by the Spirit of God. That in these desperate situations, you know, when you get desperate, all you want is relief. And so I think, I think so many people live so desperately that they're more interested in knowing the relief God can give them than they are in knowing who God is. Well, Relief will deliver you from a situation. God himself and having a relationship with him will deliver you from a lifestyle so that you no longer find yourself in that kind of situation again. So God says, I I'm going to go before you and I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Now, let me just, let me just share this with you. Two things I want to share and then we'll get right back into the teaching. First of all, I want you to know this series, Being the Wisdom of God, is all about actually coming to know who God is, know His characteristics in such a way that you know who He is when He's leading you. You recognize His voice. You recognize His ways so that you, instead of just getting delivered from a crisis, can enter into a lifestyle that very rarely finds itself in a crisis. You know something, I, I can remember not living from glory to glory like the Bible says we can, but I can remember years and years of living from crises to crises. And uh, that's, that wasn't how I intended to live and that wasn't how I was going to live and that's not how I've lived in more years than I can remember. God is inviting us into a place with Him. But this place means that we have to walk in wisdom. And wisdom comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wisdom is practical application. Wisdom is only available to people who, who are, are really committed to God in such a way that, look, I, I'm, I'm not living in fear of you hurting me. I'm not living in fear of you doing something bad. But I'll tell you, the thing I fear most would be if I didn't have you. The thing I fear most would be if I couldn't hear your voice because I've let my heart get hard and corrupt or that I would, that I would break your heart by my lifestyle. And so if you're interested in, in being, not just learning, but being the wisdom of God, man, I, won't, I won't, won't invite you to check out this series at impactministries.com. Also, let me just say this. We're trying to reach people all over the world. At the, if you're watching this on YouTube, if, if at the end you will like this, and or subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're not watching on YouTube, go on YouTube and, and subscribe to my channel because this means that thousands more people every day will have an opportunity to hear and see these messages. It makes you a part of what we're doing. Now, <clears throat> in pop theology, 
to today's world has created a political correct Christianese language and terminology. And, I, and I'm telling you, people will respond almost violently if you talk to them about, uh, uh, really about uh, obedience, if you talk to them about, uh, about sin, dealing with sin, if you, you know, if you talk to them about repentance, I mean, to, people's heads blow up. And sadly, it's because they don't really understand any of those things from a biblical perspective. But I can tell you this, they don't really know God because if you know God, you know that everything in the Bible is there for a good and healthy and positive reason and a way to bring us to a meaningful outcome. Now, just because religion has misused those concepts, you know, religion has used uh, dealing with sin as a way to beat you down and control you and point out what's wrong with you. Religion has used obedience as a way to, to, to get you into, into legalism and, 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 and fear that God's going to hurt you or punish you. Re religion has used repentance as a way to turn you into an emotional wreck. Well, I, well, I got news for you. Even though religion's done that, you can't throw those words out of the Bible. And you can't pretend like they don't exist. They do exist, and they're a vital part of, of who God is and how God brings us to life. Now, all the word repent means, it, it means one thing, and then it has its expression in another thing. Its meaning is to change my mind. So if I change my mind, the end result is I change my direction. I make a course correction. You know, if, I, if I'm driving down the road, it's really interesting. When I pull out of my, the, the road in front of my house, I go about 100 yards, and then there's another main road. And on that main road, my, I generally turn a certain direction almost every time I go out that road. And so sometimes I'll have something on my mind, and I'm wanting to go to another part of town that I don't go to very often, but out of habit, because I've got something on my mind, I'll turn the way that I normally turn. And then I'll suddenly realize I cannot reach my destination going this direction. So really what happens is I repent. I've changed my mind about the direction I'm going. Does that mean I blubber and cry and talk about what a wicked person I am and, and, and you know, feel ashamed? No, it just means I know that I can't reach my destination going the direction I'm going. So what do I do? I change my mind. Well, if I change my mind, that's meaningless if I don't change my direction. So I change my direction. Nothing negative about it, nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to cry about, and I just change my direction. Now, God is always trying to lead you to life. And that word for life means the quality of life possessed by the one who gives it. So God's always trying to bring you into this quality of life. Now, there are some groups that thinks that legalistically you earn that from God. That's, that's not true. There are some groups that think that uh, uh, that's going to happen by miracle after miracle or miracle. That's not true. God brings you into this quality of life because we listen to his voice. We learn to recognize his voice in our heart and we follow his voice. That's called wisdom. We put it into application the way he says to do it and for the reasons. And his reason is always love. And so when we, when we do the, the truth, God's way and for God's reasons, man, the outcome is always great. So sometimes... 
I'm on a course and I realize I'm on the right course, but I don't have the right attitude. Sometimes I realize I'm on the right course, but I'm really not walking about it the way to get there. Sometimes I realize I'm just on the wrong course. Well, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. See, if we know how good He is, we know that He's trustworthy. When God manifests His glory, the greatest aspect of who He was to Moses, He manifests. And in the Hebrew, it indicates that Moses perceived His goodness. He didn't just see it with his eyes. He perceived it. Moses got a download of information that could never be taught to him about how good God was. And when Moses was out there with no water, he knew a good God would give him water. When Moses was out there with no way to feed the people, he knew a good God would feed the people. When Moses was surrounded by his enemies, he knew a good God would deliver his people. His faith was built on the goodness of God. You know what? That's what I want you to build your faith on, and that's how I want you to make this journey. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.